You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Welcome, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melker. Thank you so much for listening during this uh, fine time in the off-season, middle of November. We've got free agency going on, but uh, really the news uh, is more of the awards that are uh, going out this week and uh, a couple of injury notes, um, Arizona Fall League about to wrap up. So we do have all of that to go over on this show, but I'm super, super excited for today's guest uh it's uh as far as i can recall the second time i've had a professional musician on the show but the very first time that i can recall having somebody who's both a professional musician and a professional fantasy baseball analyst uh nick dyka from rotographs and from the band arkells is going to be joining us uh in just a little bit uh so very excited to talk to nick uh, both about the recent work that he's done for Rotograph, some really great stuff that you should check out if you haven't done so already, and uh, also the uh, Arkells tour that's about to kick off. So uh, lots and lots to get to here. So here I go. Uh, I'm going to start with a couple of injury notes here. And this one is is one I really hadn't heard or seen much about, to be honest, but it strikes me as co- kind of a big deal. Uh, and that is that Carlos Correa uh, just recently in the past week had surgery to repair a deviated septum. So we already know that Correa has dealt with uh, back issues, dealt with them for most of the season, uh, perhaps an oblique issue in there as well. And actually, this is one of the things I'm going to talk to Nick Dyka about because he recently did write a piece on Carlos Correa's 2018 season. So add to all of that the fact that he was playing through a deviated septum that was affecting his breathing. So, you know, the the injury narrative just gets stronger and stronger here in terms of explaining just a surprisingly disappointing season for, for Carlos Correa. And the other big uh, surgery injury news is uh, Gary Sanchez had surgery on his left shoulder last Thursday. He is expected to need three months to recover from that surgery, which, again, barring any unforeseen kind of setback, uh, should make Sanchez good to go for spring training and for opening day. And uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of curious, actually. I've been curious as to how people are going to respond to Sanchez uh, coming off, like Correa, coming off a, a bad season, although in Sanchez's case it was really really much, much worse. Uh, batted just 186, did have 18 home runs in 374 plate appearances, but that still for him represented a decrease in power and obviously a big decrease in batting average. So now you you uh, tag on to you know the problems that he had both in terms of performance and in terms of health, uh, the fact that he will be coming off shoulder surgery. Granted, it's his non-throwing arm, but you know still how that maybe could affect him uh, behind the plate or I should say at the plate uh, for Gary Sanchez. And this also follows up on something that I talked about. I think it was on the most recent show here last week when I was talking about JT Real Muto and how he's been put on the trade market and his agent is saying that he's definitely not going to be a Marlin by the time spring training rolls around. And I, as I talked about Real Muto, just sort of, really without even checking myself or thinking about it, you know, kept referring to him as you know the obvious 
first catcher off the board next year. And then sort of circled back in that discussion and said, well, you know, maybe it's not really that obvious. Uh, so I, I put it to the test, the ultimate test, which is a Twitter poll. And I asked, just put this out uh, right before the show, a few hours before the show, and asked who should be the first catcher off the board in 2019. And this was, I probably just then didn't even need to correct myself last week when I was comparing Real Muto and Sanchez because the overwhelming majority in this poll said, yes, Real Muto should be the first catcher off the board. The options were Real Muto, Sanchez, and then I put other uh, parenthetically, right in. Nobody, not a single person, wrote in anybody, although 3% did vote for other. So maybe Wilson Ramos, maybe uh, um, maybe Wilson Contreras, although I sort of doubt that. Uh, and I did get one reply, uh, Williams asked to Dio, but I, I think that was probably tongue-in-cheek. I think, probably. Especially since on the last show I had Brandon Ward on here saying that Astadio is probably not going to rack up that much time behind the plate. Anyhow, so Real Muto got 64%, Sanchez 33%, everybody else 3%. And by the way, great turnout for this poll. Uh, one of the best responded to polls I've ever put out. So kind of amazing for uh, the middle of November, uh, folks really came through on this. So I feel very confident in this sample, uh, almost 2 to 1 in favor of Real Muto. And that really did surprise me. I wasn't wasn't totally sure how this one was going to turn out. So uh, in any event... That maybe partially is uh, slanted by this news of the surgery. Maybe. I don't have a before and after, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, in any event, there's your Gary Sanchez news. And there's your Gary Sanchez poll. In other news, uh, Hunjin Ryu, and here's where I, another place where I was wrong, by the way. I said I didn't think anybody was going to accept the qualifying offers this year. Hunjin Ryu did. He took the Dodgers up on the one-year $17.9 qualifying offer. And in retrospect, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because he only made 15 starts this past year, missed more than half of the season with the strained groin. And this gives uh, Ryu an opportunity to build up his value, hopefully a little bit better for another run at the free agent market. But he certainly has a sensational year and probably could have done much better than a, a one-year deal shy of $18 million on the market, but probably just figuring that he'll do even better next year. But uh, Rio went 7-3 with a 197 ERA, a 1.01 whip, 89 strikeouts and 82 in a third innings. And that uh, strikeout ratio, uh, his, his rate was 27.5%, which by far is the highest of his career. So uh, he's got a, a great opportunity to, uh, first of all, if he could stay healthy, have a great season in 2019 and uh, improve his value. And we don't have a lot of, of draft data to go on, even mock draft data. Uh, but as I have been referring to in recent episodes, we do have those nine too early mock drafts that uh, Justin Mason put together. And across those nine drafts, Ryu's average draft position was 200.7. So, yeah, you can get them cheap, and it's it's a great risk. I think it's a great risk, you know, considering how pitching uh, does thin out. And that you can get somebody really pretty late in the draft who uh, gave you a sub two ERA and a whip that was just barely over one. You know, granted, he's, he certainly looks regression bound, but it's a great skill set and uh, you can get it very cheap, apparently, uh, if those two early mocks are going to be any indication 
of uh, what uh, what's going to happen a few months from now. Uh, also, uh, a couple of notes that occurred, <laughs> a couple of things that happened very close to the last show, but just late enough that uh, it wasn't on the last show. So this is sort of old news, but the, the Rays and the Mariners made another trade. Uh, Malik Smith and outfield prospect Jake Fraley going to the Mariners in exchange for Mike Zanino, Guillermo Heredia, and minor league lefty Michael Plassmeyer. Obviously, the big names here are Zunino and Smith. Smith had a 40-steal season for the Rays, hit 296. A little bit of a minor power breakout. Only hit two homers, but some good doubles and triples power that were supported by his batted ball profile. Uh, Zunino, a very disappointing year at the plate, just hit 201. Did get 20 home runs, which is sort of, I think, kind of the minimum you expect from Zunino. And not that you should expect him to hit for a great average, but 201, even for Zunino, a bit disappointing. And just 44 RBIs, 37 runs, which is also quite low for uh, uh, somebody who hit 20 home runs. So between the run production and the batting average, that sank Zunino down to 26th place in roto value among catchers, according to the ESPN player rater. So Zunino, I mean, should rebound somewhat, I would think, with the Rays. He gets some nice away parks to hit in. Uh, his numbers were maybe a little suppressed by Safeco Field, so it's it's a it's an upward move for uh, for Zanino and for Smith going the other way. Uh, I, I you know I, I was a little disappointed. Well, actually, we were very disappointed by D Gordon's production last year, and especially stolen bases. And um, you know, Gene Zagardu too the last couple of years a little a little disappointing. So hopefully, Malcolm Smith can build on that forty steal season, but. Maybe hold a little bit of skepticism there, hold back a little bit on draft day. Uh, probably a little bit of regression due for him uh, as well. So that was the big deal. Uh, Smith and Zanino involved in that trade. Uh, the Pirates re-signed uh, Jung Hong, uh, I'm sorry, Jung Ho Gong uh, to a one-year $3 million deal. Uh, appeared in three games towards the end of the season last year. Was on the restricted list. Uh, due to three DUI arrests in South Korea. Uh, but he's going to be given a chance, according to Adam Berry of MLB.com, he's going to be given a chance to actually play every day. Now, whether that comes at the expense of Colin Moran over third base or Gong uh, splits his time at some different positions, that remains to be seen. I think some of that probably has to do with maybe how well Moran performs in spring training. So that'll be a, a position battle worth uh, paying attention to. And uh, finally, in terms of the news from the past week, Joe Maurer announced his retirement. He finishes up with a 306 career batting average and a 388 on base percentage, uh, hit 143 homers over his career and, uh, you know, was not a, not a big fantasy producer the last few years in his career. And of course uh, the, the, his career was uh, impacted by, by concussions uh, which is always something that uh, you hate to see. But, um, you know, certainly uh, a great player, somebody uh, who will be in in the Hall of Fame discussion. And, uh, you know, certainly un- unquestionably, you know, somebody who was very consistent in terms of producing for, for batting average uh, and on base percentage. So as you're listening to this, maybe the Cy Young Awards have been given out. Uh, I'm Coming to you on a Wednesday here. So depending on uh, when you listen to this, you may already know as of right now, 
for my knowledge, uh, that that is still to come ahead. But we do know the rookies of the year, Shoei Otani in the AL and Ronald Acuna in the uh, NL. We know our managers of the year, uh, Bob Melvin, um, who I believe has won it for the fourth time. Either the third or the fourth. I think it's the fourth, which is, uh, I have to admit, took me by surprise. And Brian Snicker uh, winning it, and deservedly so, um, over in the National League. So, uh, anyways, the, the big ones, uh, you know, still coming. MVPs, Cy Youngs. So, be able to break those down uh, on next week's show. Uh, not that that is not being able to, you know, look into the future. But it certainly does seem like there's a lot of anticipation that Blake Snell is going to win. I still think Justin Verlander has a very strong case. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think pretty much the consensus is that Jacob deGrom is going to win over in the National League. Uh, so we should have uh, Nick Dyka, uh joining us. In fact, <laughs> right now, uh, got word that we do have uh, Nick Dyka on the line. So as I mentioned uh, earlier in the show, uh, doing some great work for Rotographs, also uh, Baseball Prospectus Toronto, and also doing some fantastic work with his band, Arkells. Uh, Nick is the uh, bass player for uh, Arkells. And uh, Nick, very excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time out uh, to join us here. And, and I believe you're actually just on the verge of, of leaving for your tour. Is that correct? Hey, oh, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for having me. That is uh, correct. We're headed to the airport in about two hours to uh, take off for Europe. So, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, my pleasure, and I'm I'm extremely honored that you're actually taking the time to do this right now. Uh, you know, given that you're you're uh, uh, bound uh, for your tour in, in a couple of hours here. So, uh, and I certainly do want to talk about the tour. Uh, talk about hey. your, talk about your your new uh, record. It, I, don't, I don't know if we still call them records. Uh, I'm showing my age here. But, uh, <laughs> uh, we, do, we, still, we still call them records. We still call. Them All right. Records. Well, if, they, if yeah. you do that, that definitely works for me. Uh, but I want to start with the the fancy baseball angle first, you know, given that this is the fancy baseball hour. Uh, but when did you start playing fantasy? Uh, I started playing probably about 10 years ago. I had some friends who were playing, and it kind of stuck with me as kind of a fun way to engage in baseball. And also just to kind of keep up with the teams and players that I wouldn't typically pay attention to. I'm a Canadian, so I follow the Jays and the American League a little more closely. But fantasy, I found, was a good way to kind of engage with, again, like, the NL and some of the more, you know, fringy players I wouldn't be focused on otherwise. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely great for that. And that's really what, what got was, uh, you know, the real magnet for me too. Uh, Cause I had been, yeah. been sort of not following baseball as closely as I, I did, uh, you know, a few years prior. And then when I you know, had a bunch of friends that were playing fantasy and it's like, Oh, I got to watch, you know, got to put on ESPN. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh well, you've written some really neat pieces uh, for Rotographs lately, and um, so I want to focus on a few of them. Uh, you did a, uh, a review of Mike Fultonevich's season, and you know all, all of us yeah. who write for Rotographs, you know, we're doing you know breakout uh, breakdowns and you know various you know reviews back of the season. So you did one on on Fultonevich, and yeah. um, you you actually referenced a piece that I wrote around the middle of the season. Uh, and we both kind of share a skepticism over what Fultonevich did this year. So um, what what spurs your skepticism, and where do you think he should be drafted going into next year? Yeah, well, kind of what I wanted to do was kind of build off uh, the piece you wrote, which 
was based on the skepticism over his swinging strike rate. And he has a very average swinging strike rate. And typically, pitchers who do show that swinging strike rate aren't able to post high strikeout rates from year to year. And, uh, you know, I took a look at, at the second half and took a look at his pitch mix and see, to see if there was anything he was doing that might suggest he, he's going to able, be able to sustain his performance. And I think that given he is throwing his slider and fastball more often, he might be able to sh- sustain some of his development that he made in 2018, but I don't think he can sustain all of it. Uh, he's just not getting enough swing strikes. So I think around pick 100, he's not going to be a total bust there. You know, that might be a round or two earlier. Based on kind of some of the early mocks, a couple pitchers I've seen going after him that I'd probably prefer to take would be Carlos Martinez because of track record or Herman Marquez because of upside. So I, I don't think he's going to be a complete bust, but I think expecting the kind of ERA lower than three, 26, 27% K rate that he had this year, I think that's too much to expect from him going forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that as well. And we're basically in the um, now you, uh, the two early mocks, which I talked about earlier in, in the show. Uh, he yeah. went just inside the, t- the top 100. Uh, I'm currently involved in a mock draft uh, through Nick Pollock and Pitcher List, and we're currently in the ninth round. And um, I, I've got a whole bunch of, of starting pitchers in my queue right now. I ju- just took Jose Barrios in the eighth round. I may go pitcher again this round. And so I've still got several of those pitchers in my queue. Now, Fulton Nevich went in the sixth round in this wow. draft. But even if he was still there, I would prefer every pitcher that's currently in my queue to Fulton Nevich, just to give you an idea of uh, how I think that he may be you know, getting overdrafted uh, a, a bit here. So I certainly agree with you that you know some of the, the pitchers uh, that came after him in terms of uh, the, the two early mock ADP. Yeah, I, I would would think he should go maybe you know two or three rounds later even than he did there. So uh, yeah, but again, you know, we're sort of, really high to me. Yeah, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's high. Yeah. Uh well uh you talked about a couple of short stops, so we'll start with uh Manny Machado. And um yeah he's certainly an interesting player to look at now because um he didn't do as well with the Dodgers as he had done with the Orioles and then of course you yeah. know, made a lot of waves in the in the postseason for a lot of the wrong reasons. Uh <laughs> some performance related, some not. Uh but how how are you viewing him now in light of the stint with the Dodgers? It, you know, you can put as much weight on yeah. it at the postseason as you like. I personally, you know, wouldn't put that much weight on it. But you know, looking at the last couple of months, um how are you looking at him? Yeah, I think the interesting thing about his time with the Dodgers is he continued to hit better at home than he did on the road. And what's interesting about that is Dodger Stadium skews more pitcher-friendly than Oriole Park does. Um, so I think I think Machado is kind of a safe bet. If you, if you want to take him kind of after pick 12, depending on, you know, your league size, you know, I, that's, that's when I'd start to take a look at him. I definitely feel like, you know, Francisco Lindor and Trey Turner should be drafted ahead of him. Potentially Alex Bregman, depending on, on format in terms of shortstops, um, because Bregman's just so good when it comes to walks and strikeouts. So if, if you're in a points league, uh, he might be a slight favorite over Machado. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think Machado's a player that it's, the splits are kind of confusing, given that he hits so well 
at Oriole Park, but then he didn't hit well at any of the other pitcher-friendly stadiums that he spent a lot of time in, like Yankee Stadium and Fenway Park. So there's not much sense to it, but I'm inclined to just kind of ignore it, given his his long track record of success, and and start to look at him, yeah, anytime after the 12th pick. Yeah, well, you know, and I think, again, I'm not really sure what to make of it either, but if you were inclined to look at it optimistically, you could say, well, yeah, he went to Dodger Stadium, which is not really, uh, like you said, not nearly as good of a, a park for offense as Oriole Park is. And so maybe we don't worry about where he lands uh, because yeah. it's, it's probably just not a factor. Um, and, uh, you know, so that that is an interesting angle that you took in, in the column that you wrote. And also, I'm glad that you brought up Bregman because that's going to be a real dilemma for me. And I haven't done my projections yet. And, you know, as of right now, I feel like it's sort of a toss up. Um, yeah. Whether it's whether it's points or um, or Roto, I'm not sure which way I would go. I would certainly go Lindor for sure. Maybe yeah. Bregman. Uh, I would not go Carlos Correa over Machado. So um, yeah. you wrote about Correa too in a different piece, and I mentioned at the very top of the show, Correa just had surgery to repair uh, a deviated septum. So that's interesting news on top of all the back issues and the fact that apparently he wasn't you know, really breathing yeah. well this year. Um, what do you make of all that? Uh, where would you rank him vis-a-vis you know, Machado or Bregman or Trevor Story even for that matter? Yeah, I, I think um, the first thing I, w- I wanted to mention was just I'm getting really skeptical of, of the Astros and how they're kind of leaking out information about their players' health, it, it makes it very difficult from, from a fantasy perspective. You know, I thought Jose Altuve had knee soreness, not that he needed, like, you know, to reconstruct his knee. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm finding that kind of problematic, and that makes, that makes it harder to make kind of in-season decisions about guys like Correa who, you know, have back soreness, and then they're out for a month and a half, you know. So there, there's that to... To consider, uh, I think I would take him over Trevor Story, but, but well, well, really, what I would do is I I think you're going to be able to get Correa later, so I, I'd try to wait on Correa as opposed to having to pick Story uh, earlier on. Um, I took a look at um, one of the pitcher list mocks. It wasn't the one you were in, Al, but okay. uh, uh, one of the other ones. He didn't get drafted till the fourth round. He got drafted after Tommy Pham and Corey Seager, and I would definitely take Correa in the fourth round. I think that's great value. I think if you can get him in the third round, that's probably going to be good value. He's, he's not, you know, he should be going after Machado and Lindor um, and Turner and, and Bregman. But I, I think in terms of the, the second tier of shortstops, uh, he can provide a lot of potentially added value uh, if, he's, if he's able to rebound. Yeah, and that that's the if. Um, you know, certainly I, I like yeah. you know the fact that he's you know certainly at an age where you, you like his chances for that. Uh, I did take him in the uh, uh, pitcherless mock that I'm in uh, at the end of the third round, so I, I did feel like it was good value. Um, Corey Seager was still out there and actually stayed out there for a while. I, I'm, I'm oh, okay with that. I yeah, I actually I think that's going to be an interesting dilemma for people too, Correa versus uh, Seeker. So shortstops, pretty interesting uh, up near the top in terms of the the risks and how people are going to going to manage those. So, um, well, I do want to uh, talk a bit about Arkells. Uh, sure. And one thing I want to ask you about is how you actually find the time. <laughs> you're, I mean, you're not just a, a fantasy baseball player. I mean, you're you're an analyst, you're a writer. Uh, how do you juggle all of that? Yeah, well, I think 
one of the things about being in a band is that it means there's lots of time like in airports and like hotel lobbies and like waiting around in sound check. So I try to use those moments to be as productive as possible. You know, whether it's like looking, looking at Twitter for all the latest news in, in terms of baseball and stuff like that, or just hopping on my laptop and in, in the hotel lobby or, or waiting for a flight to, to try to get some, some writing done or, or do some analysis. And so that's basically try kind of how I try to do it. It's it just be as productive as I can in kind of those hurry up and wait downtime moments. And, uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's that's probably what I try to do. Although, yeah, like anyone, I end up just on, you know, Instagram wasting time like like anyone else. <laughs> <is too>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I was actually just realizing. So at the top of the show, I said this is as, as far as I can remember the second time I've actually had a professional musician on the show. The first uh, I had Scott McCoy from uh, REM on the show, and he talked about talked a lot yeah. about you know obviously his own fantasy baseball playing but he was saying how you know mike mills like you, you kind of have to you know he has to sort of you know get him you know off of his phone or his laptop, <laughs> laptop yeah. because he's, he's really obsessed with it yeah. so like maybe this yeah. is a bass player thing uh uh <laughs> it's it, it, people know al the day josh donaldson got traded to the jays our guitar tech literally stopped he like stopped during the show and he just made a sign that said Donaldson just got traded to the Jays and he just held it up on the side of the stage <laughs> for me. <laughs> I didn't believe him. I didn't believe him. Oh, that's yeah. So yeah, you thought maybe you're, you're getting punked or something there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so, all right. The, your album rally cry just came out uh, last month. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Uh, in October. Yeah, uh, and I've given it a, a given it a few listens. Um, I, I I typically can't. I don't know about you. I really can't write and listen to music. But when I'm doing my research uh, before I start writing, I you know I like to put on a little music. So I've I've uh, done done some good work to uh, to rally cry lately. Uh, how long did it take you all for uh, the, the the whole process of writing uh, writing the songs and and uh, you know recording it in the studio? Yeah, yeah. So we did this one kind of differently. Typically, what we'll do is we'll kind of we'll go on tour and then we'll come back and then we'll hole up in a studio for, you know, five or six weeks straight and, and really write and record the whole thing. But this time we were pretty busy touring. So what we did was we actually just kind of popped in for a couple of days. If we had, you know, a week off between tours, we'd go in for a couple of days and record a song. So it took us all in all probably about 10 months of just kind of going in and out and doing three, three days at a time type of thing where we'd record one song, then we'd hit the road again, come back, record another two and, and so on and so forth. So yeah, we started, uh, we started about this time last year, uh, recording. And wow. then, yeah. Yeah. So that's just, you know, like I said, that's incredible. And I guess, like you said, there, the, maybe your time's a little, you know, uh, bunchy that, you know, you have these moments uh, in airports and such yeah. and you can, you can manage your team, but, uh, that's, you know, that's, exactly. that's quite the, <laughs> the commitment there. Uh, how, how do you feel about the album? And is, is there maybe a particular track that uh, that's a favorite for you? Um, it's, you know what? It's, it's hard to pick. It's a little bit like, you know, picking between your kids in terms of picking a favorite track. But uh, I, I definitely am very proud of the, the record. I, I know one song uh, called Relentless, uh, that was a, like a fun one and an interesting one for us to record because we used a sample on that song. And as a rock band, you know, we don't really use samples. That was our first yeah. time ever doing it. So that was kind of cool to, to learn how that works and like learn how to try to play with, you know, play with like a, basically a pre-recorded 
element in in the in the track because we're not we're not used to that and we think it turned out great it was it was a really fun learning experience and you know even though we're a rock band we you know we love all sorts of music and like rap has like every rap song has you know 20 samples in it so it was really cool to to kind of dig in and try to get our feet wet with that uh, yeah, well, and, and definitely, you know, it comes across in the album that uh, you all uh, have a lot of influences in different different types of genres that uh, that you like. So it's it's uh, it's an interesting mix. Um, so I do encourage people to yeah. not only read your read your work on Rotographs, but uh, to check out uh, Rally Cry. Uh, so as you you mentioned at the top here, uh, you're going to be taking off very very soon here, imminently. Uh, to, to join the band for uh, for your tour, uh, where yep. all are you going? Now you're starting in Europe, right? Yeah, we're headed to Europe tonight, and we've got dates in Germany and the UK over the next few weeks, and then we've got uh, some tours lined up in Canada and the US for February and March. Uh, so yeah, we should be kind of all over the eastern and western seaboards in in the US, and then we're going across Canada in February. All It'll right, be very fantastic. cold. <laughs> I imagine, yeah. I imagine so. But uh, well, I, I uh, yeah, I wish you the best of luck with with that, and uh, you know, be uh, looking looking for uh, news uh, from your tour. Uh, I, I got to ask this though: uh, Will we see yeah. any more work from you in the near future on Rotographs? Because uh, I know I've asked you about how you're juggling everything. Uh, does yeah. does Fancy Baseball kind of go on the shelf? No, we're gonna we're gonna see more work from you. Oh no, uh, absolutely not! I've I've already got uh, some Lourdes Goriel uh, data queued up. I'm going to dig into tonight on the flight, and so I think that's going to be my uh, my next my next column for Rotographs. Take a look at, at his half season and see kind of what he looks like going into into 2019. Fantastic. Okay, well, we'll be looking for that too. So, uh, well, Nick, I'm sure you got to get going here. So, uh, I again really appreciate you taking the the time out. Best of luck with the tour and with the album and with Lourdes Goriel and all of your other analysis. Yeah. Uh, so, folks should check out uh, Rally Cry from Arkells and check out Nick's work on Rotographs and Baseball Prospectus Toronto. Uh, Nick Dyka, thank you so so much for joining me here. Oh, thank you, thank you, Al. Anytime. All right. Take care. Take care. Uh, so, uh, again, that's uh, Nick Dyka. Uh, please do check out his, his work. Uh, he's a, a fairly recent addition over at Rotographs and has just written some great stuff. So um, uh, do, do ch- go check that out. Uh, so uh, one thing that I did not uh, get to and actually haven't talked about in a few episodes uh, before uh, Nick joined us was taking a look at what's going on in the Arizona Fall League. And now it's really a pretty good time to do it because it's almost over. Uh, the championship game is actually this Saturday. Uh, so that you, could, you were pretty close to just being able to put a, a bow on those uh, final stats. And granted, those stats almost never really mean a whole lot. I think maybe in the most extreme of, of outlier cases that if somebody unexpectedly has a really great Arizona Fall League and I can't think of specific examples but I do remember situations maybe within the last two three years where somebody got a little bit more of a shot in spring training because they did so well in the Fall League so uh, somebody who definitely has received quite a bit of attention is Nate Pearson the uh, unfortunately I probably should have kept Nick on for a couple more minutes because uh, this is a Blue Jays prospect he does have a 620 ERA in 20 and a third innings in the Fall League and he's walked 13 batters, so that doesn't look so great. But basically, what's really helped him garner a lot of attention is the fact that 
he's thrown triple digits, and he pitched in the Fall Stars game and hit 104 there with the fastball, and he does have 23 strikeouts in those 20 and a third innings. So some good, some bad uh, for Pearson, but you know, given that, too, he missed almost the entire 2018 season uh, after uh, one of his first appearances uh, breaking a bone in his forearm, uh, there's a lot there that's that's very encouraging. So his stock certainly uh, has gone up. Uh, John Duplantier uh, has, is of right now leading the AFL in strikeouts. He's got 32 in just 21 and two-thirds innings. So I think his stock maybe goes up a little bit. And, of course, Forrest Whitley's been one of the best pitchers, but that that was to be, ex- uh, be expected. Similarly, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has been one of the best hitters. He's got right now got a 351 average. He has struck out six times. Uh, I don't know how many plate appearances he has, but he's 27 for 77, 351 average. Uh, so an 80 plus, uh, I think maybe 85 plate appearances. I think that's uh, what what I'm digging out of my memory. Uh, just six strikeouts. So uh, just continuing on with great contact skills that he's. Shown to the minors, uh, seven doubles, no homers. Uh, but, you know, I think he still, he still should look at him this year, despite the fact that, you know, didn't hit a home run uh, yet in the AFL. Cole Tucker is having a very nice AFL, and he's somebody I think we could see up with the Pirates, maybe not to start the season, but maybe midseason. Uh, he, by the way, has an identical batting line to Guerrero, he's 27 for 77, a 351 average. That part of the batting line, anyway, is identical. He has stolen six bases in nine attempts, so not great efficiency, but did steal six bases. He stole 35 at Double A Altoona this year. So Tucker, somebody to think about, maybe as a, a stolen base source later in the year this year. The leader in the AFL, AFL in home runs is Braxton Davidson of the Braves, He's got six of them. There's a whole bunch with five, so it's not like he's exactly running away with it. Uh, Hit 20 homers at uh, Advanced Class A Florida in the Florida State League, uh, but had 213 strikeouts, which is outrageous. Struck out nearly half of his plate appearances. Improved that just a little bit in the Fall League. Uh, 28 strikeouts and 71 plate appearances. So, you know, there's maybe something there in terms of power for Davidson, but, man, he's got to cut back the strikeouts. and Peter Alonzo, overall, uh, a, a pretty good fall league. Five home runs, four stolen bases. But he did hit just 226. Went 21 for 93, or I would say went. Uh, there are, again, still uh, a handful of games left. Uh, but strikeouts, maybe a little bit of an issue for him as well. well. After he got promoted to AAA this past season, that rate was 25.9%, which isn't terrible. It's it's you know, nowhere in the vicinity of you know a Braxton Davidson. But it was a substantial increase from what he had done previously. And then in the Fall League, 27 strikeouts in, I think, a little more than 100 plate appearances. I don't have that number right in front of me. So, you know, again, you, you sort of project for major the major leagues. And this is somebody who maybe is in danger of being around a 30% strikeout rate in the major leagues. So uh, Alonzo, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, would love to see him up with the Mets right away and play all over or at least the the bulk of 2019 with the Mets. And I do think that that's likely to happen. I think he'll be a nice uh, power speed source, but maybe just uh, pull back your expectations a bit in terms of batting average for Alonso. 
but yeah, sort of, sort of nitpicking here. Uh, certainly uh, would be a great prospect to have in uh, in just about any format. So uh, you know, with that said, uh, there's not much that that's left there in the Arizona Fall League. And uh, so on that note, we're going to wrap things up here. So look forward to seeing you next week. And thanks again to Nick Dyka from Rotographs and from Arkells. And hope you all have a great week. Enjoy the awards. So take care, everybody. Have a good one.